Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. You can learn more about the Alumni Association at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So today we're joined in the Sojournal podcast by Chris Beard, who is a graduate of Johnson University, Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, actually a graduate online, right? You have an, a, a master's and a PhD from Johnson, right? That is correct. Yes. All right. Well, Chris, what years did you graduate? I graduated with my master's of arts in New Testament in 2010, and I defended my dissertation for the PhD in 2015. And uh, that's when my official graduation date is as well for that. Very good. So class of 2010 and class of 2015. Chris, welcome to the Sojournal podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) appreciate you joining me today. Looking forward to getting into this, uh, you know, partially just because I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years, but now you are my dean. So uh, (laughs) I'm I'm sort of under the gun here, under some pressure. But uh, before we get into any of that, would you mind giving a general introduction of yourself to those in the audience who do not know Chris Beard? Sure. I'm Chris. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Carrie, who is a middle school social studies teacher. I've been married uh, over 26 years to her. We've got four kids, one daughter-in-law. We live on a little bitty five-acre goat farm uh, with my mother here in Oklahoma, which we just moved this summer and are loving that. And I'm the director of the PhD in Leadership Studies program at Johnson University. Wonderful. Perfect. You live in Oklahoma, right? So where where were you born and raised? I uh, was actually born and raised in Oklahoma, about an hour and a half from here in a little town called Alva. Alva. Where is Alva? I mean, give me, give me, a, give me a bigger city <laughs> that somebody might know about. Let's see. The closest city, when I was actually the closest McDonald's when I was growing up was an hour away. Uh, so that kind of tells you the size of the city. It's a northwest Oklahoma. The, it's a college town. Northwestern Oklahoma State University is in that town. I guess maybe closest that we could think of as far as famous Towns, Wakita from the famed movie Twister uh, was about 30 minutes, 45 minutes away. So that kind of tells you. But we're out there in the not quite to the panhandle, but in the uh, plains of Oklahoma. Oh, my goodness. You're out in the sticks where you are right now. Are you just as far away from things or are you closer to things? No, I'm a little closer. Punk City is uh, north central Oklahoma, a little bit bigger town and uh I have basically Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Wichita are all, all about an hour and a half away, which makes it uh, both nice and complicated when I'm trying to get flights out to <laughs> Tennessee. So, so what's, your, uh, what's your go-to airport? Uh, lately, it's been Tulsa, but it really just depends at, uh, on what's cheapest and what, what time frame is available. So I have to search all the time frames for all three airports, and it's a it's not a lot of fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a as a guy who is the director of the PhD program, and I know you're academic, so you continue to go to conferences and present papers or critique papers or whatever it is you know that you do at these conferences. So, I imagine that's got to be a little bit difficult to be traveling so often when you live an hour and a half from an airport. 
It is. Um, I enjoy it, though. I love it. I love traveling. I love coming to campus. Uh, usually, I get on campus once every month or six weeks. And then, of course, uh, conferences and, and things of that nature are a lot of fun to go to. But yeah, it's a it's quite a haul. But when I lived in Texas for the previous 12 years, I was also about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away from an airport. So just kind of old hat for me at this point. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so what was it like for you growing up in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma? It was an agricultural community. Uh, it was a, a small town, and uh, I really I grew up going to the church. My mom took me to church every Sunday, became a part of a, a deep part of the, the church and youth group there. We didn't have a lot in that area, but so we had the uh, normal activities of dragging up and down Oklahoma Boulevard, turning around at the Sonic and then back up at the old ideal grocery store back and forth. Uh, when I turned 16, I took my car out for the first time and in one day put 300 miles on it and never left city limits. Uh, and <laughs> this is in a town where it takes you about three minutes to get from one end of the town to the other. So, you know, a typical small town life. I loved it. I, I It made me what I am today in a lot of ways. And uh, really enjoyed growing up with a, a strong sense of community. Now, was that like a farm community or was it a, a mining town? What was what was kind of the main industry or whatever there? A lot of farms uh, in the area. Uh, there was some some gas and oil uh, industry as well. But so, uh, you know, for, for my family, uh, my dad worked in uh, the gas industry for a while and, and worked. There's also a prison in the area. So he and my mom both worked uh, in the prison and in different roles. And I have family that farm nearby. And typically, if you were to say, what's out of Oklahoma, what's the main thing that's there? It really is probably the agriculture. So from the time that you were born, were you always in a Christian home going to a church, what have you? That's a great question. So yeah, the answer is yes. My grandmother was my first Sunday school teacher in a little bitty church in Byron, Oklahoma. And my mom uh, took me to church every, every time the doors were open. We were there. My dad was not. My dad uh, believed in God, but was a, a proclaiming Christian, but was not an active Christian for for most of my childhood. And uh, so that was a struggle. But mom was mom was really instrumental uh, for me developing my faith as a kid. And then sometime I can't remember exactly when it was, but sometime when I was a teenager. Uh, my dad showed up to church and never stopped going. And was within a year, he was a deacon at that church. And one of my favorite stories about my dad is that uh, I felt the call to ministry uh, when I was a teenager and uh, was in youth ministry for a couple years and did some preaching as well. My dad, um, after he really uh, gave his life fully to Christ as an adult, um, decided to quit his job and move to Joplin, Missouri to go to Ozark Christian College and become a minister. And so what I like to say is that I was a preacher before I was a preacher's kid. So that's, <laughs> that is, that's neat. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest and uh, my sister is next in line. And then my brother's about eight years younger than me. So tell me about then your faith development and journey. Uh, you know, what, what did it look like early? When did you kind of latch on to Christ as your own? Well, I think it's one of those situations where I, I, I can't remember a time where I didn't know who Jesus was. And I, th I think that typical church upbringing and, you know, volunteered at VBS and got involved. And I got to preach uh, for my pastor one, when I was 16. That was the first time I got to preach. He was out of town for Christmas and asked me to fill in for him. And I did so. And 
really loved that experience. I appreciated that experience. I had ministers that that encouraged me. You know, of course, all throughout family and and, and Sunday school teachers and and people in the church that really encouraged me and helped me grow my faith. And then I think probably as I went to college, it really, my faith became more of my own. I really felt like it was more of what I believed as opposed to what my parents or my, what my church believed. A lot of things were still similar, but I, I really felt like I came to my own, into my own as far as my faith is concerned. And then really in my ministry, I was in ministry for 25 years. And I think that that experience coupled with marriage and being a father really took my faith uh, to the next level, so to speak, and uh, helped me grow. And I would say then the final factor in that development as I was an adult was uh, my involvement both in higher education as a student and then also um, now as a faculty member. So your faith is growing even today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's uh, When I got my PhD, I, I think that the thing that you learn when you get a PhD is you don't know a lot. You, you become an expert about a little tiny speck of context <laughs> in the world, but you realize how how little you truly know. And it's really caused me to question a lot of things, including some of my own stances in theology and faith. And that has only made me stronger. Uh, mm. God has used that to, to grow me for sure. Wow. We could go down that hole real quick. That's, uh, <laughs> that's good. But I mean, I, I'm right with you. I, I so get the more educated you get, the more you realize you don't know. As you were coming to the end of your days in high school and decided to take a next academic step, what were you considering doing? What influenced you? Where? Where did you decide to go? Well, I was in um, a group called Highest Praise with Ozark Christian College, which was a, a choir that they came on campus and rehearsed for about Oh, seven days or something like that. And then went out on tour to different churches uh, throughout the area. And actually, first time I really traveled much outside of the state of Oklahoma, other than just to go visit family and things like that. And I did that for four years in the summer. And wait, wait, wait. You, you were you were a part of this before you before you graduated high school, you were a part of this tour inquiry? Yes. Yeah. It was a, it was an audition thing. And, um, basically you try, you send in a, a, a cassette tape that, that ages me a bit <laughs> and, uh, of yourself singing. And actually I, I was on, if I remember correctly, I was always, I, I never was a singer. I was a, I was in the band. Uh, I played the bass for that and, uh, enjoyed doing that, but it was a four year thing. And each year I got to be with some of the same, same students, but, uh, Ozark, obviously the great job of, of drawing us into their community. They had professors and, and people, faculty that were a part of that, guiding that and directing that. That in conjunction with that experience of preaching in my home church. And then also my, as I mentioned, my ministers, uh, two of my, my ministers that kind of really encouraged me to consider ministry. I, I, I was 17 and I felt, yep, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to become a minister. I want to, uh, to do that and to, to follow God's calling and, and to, into vocational ministry. And so I went to Ozark Christian College uh, naturally because of my experience with highest praise uh, for a year. And uh, the rest of the story gets a little, you know, the journey is is uh, winding, so to speak, but that's how it all started. So I'm assuming based on the fact that you were connected with highest praise, you went to Ozark, that you were raised in a restoration movement tradition of a church? Yeah, I grew up in an independent Christian church. The only one in our town, a town was, as I mentioned, a small town about between four and 5,000. We had uh, 
the other streams represented, we had a church of Christ and then we also had a, a disciples of Christ church, but we were the only independent Christian church in town. Interesting. Okay. Well, you went to Ozark to study for ministry. Where did you ultimately end up graduating? Yeah, that, so that's where the, the story gets uh, the, the winding road, so to speak. So I went to Ozark uh, for my freshman year of college, was mm -hmm. majoring with a bachelor's of biblical literature, a four-year degree, so I could uh, become a minister. In my mind, I was going to be called to reflect the ministers that had influenced me. I was going to be sort of a jack-of-all-trades minister in a small church in northwest Oklahoma, you know, preacher, youth minister, all that made the mistake of dating a good Baptist girl my second semester of my senior year. She was a year older than me and was going to the college uh, there in town, Northwestern Oklahoma State University. And I say mistake, obviously that's tongue in cheek. Uh, but we ended up getting engaged. And so the idea was uh, I'm at Ozark. She's at Northwestern. She had one more year of college left. I had a lot to go. So I'll go home. We'll get married. She'll go and finish her last year of college. And then I'll go back to Joplin and we'll finish my degree. And then I'll continue my expected plan of being a small town you know, minister in Northwest Oklahoma. Uh, what happened is uh, in, a, in a restoration movement, Christian church um, nearby, about 25 miles away, a little country church, they needed a, a youth ministry intern. And after I, I got that position, um, the youth minister resigned. And so I became a uh, youth minister, uh, very ill-equipped, but, but eager to serve. And so after that year, I was doing ministry and, and really felt like, okay, why would I need to leave a good ministry to go learn how to be a minister at this point in my life? Mm -hmm. And so I was in ministry, youth ministry from that point forward until I was actually, I did uh, youth ministries in Oklahoma in various communities, had one stint where I opened up a Christian coffee house uh, that failed miserably and after about a year, and then had a, a small stay in a Quaker church, a fringe church where my grandmother attended in Cherokee, Oklahoma, as preacher, and uh, then got back into youth ministry, ended up in Ohio, where I started my master's with Johnson. Did you ultimately graduate from Ozark, or did you get your undergraduate degree somewhere else? I missed that part. So yeah, while I was in Northwestern, I thought, well, let's go ahead and and uh, you know I took some classes I thought would transfer, but I decided to go ahead and continue with that education at Northwestern Oklahoma State University, okay. and I had this idea of opening up a coffee house. So I decided, well, let's get a business degree. So my undergraduate degree is a bachelor's of business administration from Northwestern Oklahoma State University. <laughs> That's interesting. Which is interesting now that I teach within the School of Business and Public Leadership. You know, you said a lot of things in there that I just find so fascinating. One of them is the temptation to go into ministry before you're fully equipped. I imagine that that presented you with challenges that you were less prepared to deal with than, you know, maybe than you would have if you'd have completed that ministry degree. So tell me about some of those challenges. What are some of the things that you learned as you jumped out of Bible college and straight into ministry? Some of my most cringeworthy moments in my life are ones that I reflect on in ministry. Um, what I did and what I, how I how I handled myself as a minister, and you know, clueless as to how raw I really was. You know, I, I felt like God had prepared me in a lot of ways, and I still feel like God had prepared me. You know, I truly believe that. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of of education, obviously, and would encourage anyone going into ministry to pursue to pursue a ministry degree. In fact, I had a one of my uh, ministers that 
encouraged me to go into ministry. He said, don't, you know, don't start chopping wood until you sharpen your ax. I, I still remember that. And I, I did that uh, in spite of that advice. But I will say that, you know, there were the challenges were, you know, dealing with people. There was a level of maturity that I didn't have, you know, how to really do ministry, how to preach, how to, how to handle God's word with, with care. Um, and I would say that, that, by God's grace, you know, that, that's really the, the story uh, of my life. By God's grace, I look back and every ministry I had uh, from the time I was just out of high school, year out of, you know, re- year into college, up until the time when I uh, shifted my ministry context from the church to education, I was able to be a part of people coming to Christ. And uh, it was such a great blessing that to know that, you know, God called me and maybe I jumped the gun. I don't know whether I, I followed God's exact path or frankly, whether God has a specific exact path for people. But uh, I do know that that uh, God worked in me and through me and a lot of times in spite of me as well. And mm-hmm. so that was a great blessing. I appreciate you saying that, you know, too often, I think people have this this focus that God has a very specific path for you. I see it more along the lines of, you know, God is able to move despite our imperfections and our stupid decisions and what have you. He's bigger than all of that. So absolutely, uh, we don't need to put so much pressure on ourselves to find his perfect will. Absolutely. Then tell me about, uh, I I guess, just briefly kind of hit the highlights of the stops along the journey. You ultimately said that you went to Ohio. And, and that's where you started the masters. And I know you moved into ministry in, in Texas. So where are the stops along the journey? What did you do? Yeah. So I did, um, really I've had an element of youth. I had an element of youth and worship for my first basically 18 years, give or take. Well, actually less than that. My first probably 15 years of ministry really all had an element of, was mostly youth and worship. As I had said, I had that uh, stint of working with a friend's church uh, for a while as a preacher, but served in, in small churches in various capacities. Went through some uh, church hurt, frankly, at, at times. There was some some rough edges uh, that I dealt with both, and part of it was of my own doing. Uh, as I mentioned, my maturity issues that, that, that I had and some mistakes that I made just, you know, as a young kid that, that thought he knew more than he actually did. But I had, had some hurt, and when we moved to Ohio, we found a church that was the perfect place for us that, that God used to not only uh, heal us, but to help us to be fruitful and to develop uh, some lifelong relationships that we still maintain uh, with that community and, and some people in that that congregation. And then I started getting old, Tyson. It happens to the best of us. And my kids were growing up at the time, and I, I could not imagine, honestly, them being in my youth group. Uh, for, for many reasons. And uh, not only that, but I felt sort of the tug of, of leadership in my congregation. There was a lot of opportunity in that church for me to lead from my youth ministry. I was youth minister of youth, youth and worship. And I had a lot of opportunities to lead in, in a senior level at, at times and, and some opportunities to help to influence and, and, and shape the vision and mission of that church. And got to the point where I felt like that was really where God was leading me, that as I was growing, that I should be in a, in a, in a lead position. And so that's when I pursued uh, ministry and moved to Texas. It, during that time, by the way, I'll back up and, and, and mention what you addressed there, that 
I always wanted to go back and get a Bible degree because I knew that that I I needed to be better equipped. And of course, since I already had a bachelor's, I thought, well, what can what can I do to move myself forward? I thought I'll get a master's and found the Master of Arts in New Testament at Johnson. Wasn't very familiar with Johnson, uh, really didn't know anything about Johnson at the time. Growing up in Oklahoma, it was all about Dallas Christian College, Ozark Christian College, Manhattan Christian College. And we heard about Lincoln and, and Cincinnati because of the seminary, but uh, Johnson was not really on my radar. But when I found I could do that online and not leave my ministry, I, I jumped on that opportunity. And uh, fortunately, my church helped out with that as well. So that was a blessing. Um, so then I moved to Texas and, and became a lead minister of a church that was a merger between an independent Christian church and a acapella church of Christ. And I came in five after five years after that merger. And uh, it was a United church when I got there, but I love that story. Uh, but I, I served there uh, about 12 years until I made the transition into to higher education. Wonderful. Uh, I want to step back a little bit and uh, ask you a little bit about that coffee shop. What was the inspiration behind that? What were you hoping to accomplish? And and ultimately, I mean, if you can say so, why why do you think it didn't didn't really fly? Well, it was one of the best ideas that I've ever had that didn't work out. And it, it came. I was inspired. There was a place called the Java House near Ozark Christian College campus. And when I again coming from a small town, you know. I, I went, my, my friends took me to this place and there were people playing chess and there was a guy playing live music on the, you know, on the stage with acoustic guitar and they had coffee that wasn't Folgers. And, you know, I was like, what is this place? And it had it, the, the, the building had like the heating and air conditioning ducts exposed. And that just blew my mind. I don't know why I remember that, but that's the, you know, it just blew my mind. And and so when I was back in my hometown going to school and had just gotten married, you know, I still, I longed for something like that. And in my hometown, um, really for college kids, the only thing to do were, were the the bars in town and, and the, there was a couple of student unions, uh, you know, Baptist student union and uh, Methodist student association, things like that, Wesley house, things like that. And so I thought, well, why don't we create a hangout that uh, college kids can go to? And, and it's not necessarily alcohol related, that it is a, a kind of a, a more calm uh, kind of venue. And, and so we had we called it Ordinary Joe's, which I still think is a brilliant name for a coffee house. And um, we had bands come in on the weekends, had some great crowds. Uh, we had bagel and croissant sandwiches and, of course, all the, the coffee kind of things that go along with that. And I have some really good fond memories of that. Uh, and I tell you, probably what the biggest mistake was is that um, that we had a pretty good run to begin with as a, as a coffee house. And I hired too many people and golfed too much when I should have been working my tail off at that coffee house. So mm -hmm. that, that's probably why it, why it collapsed. But uh, it was really a great experience. And uh, I still have some of that entrepreneurial drive and, and pull, but uh, I don't want to do that again. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to do that again or you don't want to fail again. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think I still, no, I don't want to do that again. I don't okay. want to open a coffee house. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it sounds neat. I mean, I appreciate your vision there for that. And I mean, in a small college town that that just seemed like it was a, a missing niche. I think it was, except for, I think that, that once the newness wore off, it was kind of too small of a town to, to handle it. So mm -hmm. that, that was kind of the thing as well. When you had completed your master's degree, I actually ran into you at a acapella conference. 
Yes, indeed. So, Tulsa so, Workshop. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that setup. I mean, was that a conference that you had gone to consistently when you lived in Oklahoma or what, where was no. all of that coming from? No, I had never heard of that. To be honest with you, I had heard of North American Christian convention and, uh, I had gone to, you know, CIY national youth leaders convention, things like that. <clears throat> but, um, I'd never heard of the, of the Tulsa workshop, but we had an, an elder on our board that uh, one of the church of Christ elders that said, Hey, I really think because we have both heritages in our, in our congregation, it would be, it'd be beneficial for you to go uh, to the Tulsa workshop. So I said, okay, that's fine. And of course they provided the the support to do that and um, went up and, and it really had a, an interesting time. Uh, like the North American, the Tulsa, Tulsa workshop is uh no longer around, but at the time it was a really good gathering and really gave me a taste of the Church of Christ world that I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. And that was the same with me. I mean, that was one of those places where if we were going to be out West, that was a place that, you know, if Johnson was going to be out West, that was a place that we needed to be because that was the big convention for the restoration movement kind of congregations. I think that was called the International Soul Winners Workshop. May have been at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I think they went through some different iterations for sure. So uh, at the time that you and I encountered each other there, uh, I recall you, you and I engaging because just like, oh, hey, Johnson's here. And, and we had that discussion. You were sort of surprised to see Johnson. I was surprised to see a Johnson alumni out there. <laughs> of course, I was out there recruiting because I was the recruiter for graduate programs. And mm-hmm. you said something to me that just kind of set off a whole new path. Yeah, so I was shocked that, that, to see Johnson there because uh, there were a lot of uh, Church of Christ colleges represented, and Johnson was the only Christian college that that was there that I recall, and it just really impressed me. And I was really happy because, I, again, being a, at the church merger, I really loved the idea of unity and was really focused on that. To see Johnson crossing over into that that context was really great. And so I had had such a great experience. My master's program was was absolutely transforming for me. And uh, to to see the 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 growth that I underwent during that uh, that process, uh, it was an emphasis, preaching emphasis, and it really just made me such a such a a much better preacher than I was previous to that. And so I I had kind of always thought, well, maybe I'll go on with my doctorate somewhere. Um, but I knew that I really wish that, that Johnson had a doctorate because I had such a great experience with my master's program. And so what I said to you is, when in the world is Johnson going to get a doctorate program? And I'll never forget. You said, well, as a matter of fact, let me tell you about this Ph.D. And so that's how it all started. Yeah. Funny story. That <laughs> <laughs> was great. I mean, I loved it because you were kind of like ready made to be the audience that needed to hear to hear that. And so I thought that was really cool running into you there at the soul winners workshop. I mean, having never met you and you, uh, you know, expressing an interest in a PhD and my knowing that we were kind of generating this PhD in global, global studies, I think is what we called it at the time Uh center for global studies. Anyway, um, I just found it fascinating that you had engaged that way. And, you know, now we look back on it at this at this time, and you were, as far as I remember, because I was the guy who was taking applications at the time, you were our first applicant. 
you were you were our first graduate because your name B appears alphabetically, so you were our first graduate. And I, I, I not that it, not that anybody's counting, but I did beat my cohort mates by at least five months. Just no, not that anybody's keeping track. <laughs> so you completed before anybody else did. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but you know, you all of that, and now here you are leading this program. It just—it's fascinating how all of that happened. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your PhD journey, but I also want to step back a bit. There are a couple holes in our conversation so far that I think we'd be remiss if we did not touch on. So number one, how did you meet your wife? <laughs> and and tell me about how you two ultimately got together. Sure. Yeah. So um, my best friend in high school who I ended up being in a band with for a few year, years after high school. And we got to do some, some cool things in a kind of a Christian rock band. Uh, but he was dating my wife's sister at the time. And we decided to, to go on a double date. So they kind of set us up and Carrie, my wife and I, we weren't looking for anything serious, just kind of a, Hey, let's go on this double date kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, we uh, that's how we met. Uh, first date was uh, a few days before Valentine's Day, double date. And our first actual date was on Valentine's Day of, uh, I guess it would be 1995. And the rest is history. <laughs> that's great. If you don't mind me asking, what was the length of your courtship? So we, we both, we broke up when I moved to Joplin. That was, oh. that was our intention. And we, but uh, we were both pretty distraught about that. And so we kind of went back and forth with the idea of a long distance relationship. And um, she really wasn't into it. And what wanted, won her over, believe it or not, is I was in town and we hung out, her, our friend group all kind of hang out, hung out at her house uh, a lot. And she had to dismiss herself because she had an English literature test. She, had, she was an English major in college. And I said, well, do you need help studying? And so um, we, I spent the next four or five hours helping her study for this English lit test. I can tell you who Cotton Weary is because of that. Uh, that's the only reason. And, um, when I got back to, to Ozark, talked to her on the phone and basically that was it. And we knew when we got back together that we were going to get married. And so we were supposed to get, we were going to push it back till after she graduated and then allow her to come, uh, move to Joplin with me. But as I mentioned, we were impatient and uh, I ended up moving back to Alpha instead. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you for, uh, indulging me on that question. I was just kind of curious. It's always yeah. interesting to to see how y'all met. Second question I wanted to ask you is you have spoken highly of your uh, master's experience with Johnson. So tell me about, you know, what were the, the faculty, the classes that jumped out at you most and what did you most learn along that journey that you really think helped set you up for further? Well, I think that I was for the first time was engaging in a, in a formal way with, with scriptural interpretation and and uh, interaction with the Bible. And obviously from, from a preaching standpoint, I'd been preaching at that point really for, for several years, for many years in, in various capacities, not full time most of the time, but um, still definitely part of my ministry. And I remember going through that and, and just being amazed at, at what I didn't know. Uh, again, the more you, more you edu get educated, the more you realize what you don't know. And the professors were, were kind and they were um, 
engaging. And really online education at the time was still really young. It was still kind of a new concept and still had some, I guess, reputation issues because of diploma mills and things of that nature that were out there. But it was definitely a rigorous process. And Johnson was learning as they went uh, with on how to do that. Uh, and so I, I remember um, some of my professors, uh, Carl Bridges, always Dr. Bridges always boggled my mind how I would, I would submit like a 15 page paper and I would get it back within like seven minutes. And um, I looked through it to see, did he, did he really read this? And there'd be like really in-depth feedback for it. And uh, I asked him about it about a year ago and he's, I told him I, how impressed I was with that. He said, well, I didn't really read it. So I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, <laughs> it seems like he did, but he was always gave me really good feedback in, in those courses. Uh, towards the end of that, I always tell when I, when I introduced Dr. Linton, our provost, PhD events, I always say that he and I came to Johnson at the same time. Uh, he was actually coming to Johnson. Uh, I met him at my orientation for the master's program, and he was a part of the MA New Testament. Uh, Dr. Overdorf was uh, part of that as well. And I remember he was the, the, the first one to really, I don't want to say chastise me, it was all part of the grading process, but I submitted a, a, a sermon and he told me it wasn't, wasn't uh, biblical. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course it was. And I grew so much from his his feedback. And I had uh, Dr. Rafael Rodriguez as well uh, in, in for a course and among others. But that, those were the ones that stuck out. And it's really great to to be able to be colleagues with, with most most of those uh, those professors as well. So it was just a transformative experience. I remember that whenever I finished that program or while I was actually in the program, there was a couple of sermon series that I did as a youth minister that had really a great impact on, on students and had really uh, helped facilitate some decisions. And, I, and God really used those sermons. And I remember being in the midst of the program and going to my files and pulling those out. And I mentioned earlier that by, by the grace of God, I, I pulled those sermons out to reuse them. And I thought, there is no way I can use this sermon anymore because it is just so terrible mm. uh, because I, I got a, a perspective of what good exegetical preaching was and good interpretation was. Uh, and so, again, I, the, the thing I learned from that is that I became a much more effective preacher through that process and uh, a, an effective thinker a better disciple as well. But uh, I, again, I, I still look back on that and think that by the grace of God, God still uses us despite our, our weaknesses and, and shortcomings. And so it was just a great experience. And frankly, when I asked you about the doctorate at the Tulsa workshop, uh, you could have told me it was going to be a D-man or an EDD or, or whatever. I probably would have, would have gone for whatever uh, Johnson was offering at that point. That's so cool that you had that good of an experience with the MA program that you would have just been yes with whatever it was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Having come through the PhD journey, tell me how, how that has, you know, maybe shifted your perspective or strengthened your, your, your perspective or whatever. I mean, what did that PhD journey do for you personally and professionally? Well, I would say, you know, when I entered into the PhD program, I didn't do it because I had any aspirations for a career change or advancement in career. I just liked the master's program, wanted to experience something transformational. I knew I could learn on my own. You know, I can read, I can study, but I needed that structure. I needed that that push, that rigor. And uh, so I, I started the program while I was a minister in Texas, just because I wanted to be a better minister in Texas. I had, that was my, my number one goal. I didn't have any research aspirations. I just really 
wanted to be a better leader for my congregation. And so I entered with the blessing and some support of the church as well uh, in that process. And that was really what happened is that from the beginning, I was learning more about leadership theory in a way I never learned before. I was applying what I was learning direct, directly to my church context. My, we, we changed so much within the congregation. We changed our, our scorecard based on my candidacy work. Uh, a lot of the things I learned uh, in my dissertation, we tried to put into practice within our congregation. And uh, I really felt like that congregation benefited. And, and I would say the leaders agreed with that. We began supporting Johnson as a congregation after I graduated because they saw the value in, in the work that I did. Hmm. But I would say beyond that, I mean, I really, I, I mean, I, I, I became a scholar, no question about it. That was a, you know, we, we say in the program that we want to transform you from student to scholar. And that, that was my experience. I think most of all, it really refined my thinking. It made me a critical thinker. I was able to evaluate sources of information as a, as a professor now, as a reviewer of dissertations and papers and assignments. I'm infamous for, for making the comment of say, says who uh, site. And that's kind of been my mantra in life is that when I, when I look at the world around me and I look at information in a world where uh, not all information is reliable, my, my says who site mindset has really helped me kind of filter through. So it was transformative in, in every way as a disciple, as a, as a thinker, as a leader, it was just a, just an incredible experience. So tell me the title of your dissertation. The title of my dissertation is, I have it right here. I don't have it memorized. I have to, I have to confess. <laughs> it's Missional Leadership and Adult Learning Theory, a Study of Missional Spiritual Formation Experiences and Their Connection to Adult Learning Principles. <laughs> I just happen to have a bound copy right here beside me. So. <laughs> How many pages is your bound copy? 333 pages was my final dissertation. It's something I highly frown upon now as a director for a dissertation that long, but that's how long mine was. Yeah. So you, what do you emphasize? 150 to 200? What's the? Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty good. 150 to 200, a little over, you know, 225 is about as long as I'd like to see it. We don't put a limit on it, but uh, it's just more that we have to read and, and you got to <laughs> say it and say it succinctly. <laughs> right, right. That's one of the things I've noticed, uh, you know, as I've been on this journey just for a short time now is the importance of succinct language. Yes. Uh, I find that a lot of my writing, I have to I have to go back and check it a lot because I'm I'm saying things in ways that I could say much. Much more concise, clearer. It's tough. And it's, uh, you know, I always joked with my elders at, at the church I served in Texas, they, I usually preach for 35 to 40 minutes. And I had one elder that would always say, you can't say it in 19 minutes and you're, you know, you're not, <laughs> not you don't need to be said. And I always told him, I said, okay, I can give you 19 minute sermons, but I'm going to have to spend twice as long in the office working on sermon prep and not being out with the community. And, and so they, they took that for what it was worth. So, <laughs> so I love it. The reason I asked you about the title of your dissertation is a lot of us, a lot of people would have no idea what transformative learning theory is. I mean, what you've said, completely foreign concepts. So unpack that into layman's terms and how you applied that to the church. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I was deciding and figuring out as I kind of progressed in my ministry is the goal was to make disciples. We wanted to make more and better, better disciples. 
we weren't doing a very good job of that as a, as a church. And, and most of the churches I've been a part of struggled to really conceptualize that and put it into practice. Uh, again, God was working in spite of us at times and in working in us and through us to accomplish the mission that, that he has uh, given to us and asked us to partner with him on, but we just weren't as effective and, and things like Bible studies and sermons and things like that just weren't, uh, really producing what we were looking for. In fact, I, I went through a, a an exercise with my congregation, my elders. Uh, we we said, okay, what's the purpose of the church? We talked about it and narrowed it down to basically a summary of the Great Commission to make more and better disciples. And I said, what have we been doing to accomplish that goal? We listed the things we've tried, you know, sermons and and spiritual formation efforts, and you know, which are the typical Sunday school, Bible studies, things like that, outreach events, and 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 whatnot. And then I said, okay, what is a disciple according to scripture? And we talked about what that looks like. And I said, is this list of things that we are doing and have done, is it producing this animal, so to speak? A disciple is what the, from what the Bible says. And we had to admit that it didn't. And so that was a lot of the drive in, in my exploration of spiritual formation and how we can improve upon uh, that within, within churches. And what I came to find out is that there's a lot out there about transformation in the world of adult education and adult learning. And what really boggled my mind, in fact, I remember having a conversation with Dr. Crumpton, the director at the time and, and my advisor. I said, I have to be missing out on something. There, I, there can't be, there's no way I can be the first person to ever say, let's try to connect spiritual formation to andragogy and transformative learning theory, which were two of the adult learning theories that I selected based on their application to spiritual formation. But sure enough, I really was the first person to do any significant research on it. Uh, I had papers published on it uh, in Christian Education Journal and others because of because they it had never been done in the literature before. So that was my passion. The, the motivation is I wanted to, to study how we can do better at, at spiritual formation. And what I realized is that um, there are principles out there in adult learning theory that really should be in, in, uh, applied to the development of spiritual formation efforts. And that, that uh, it bared itself out in the research that I did. Have you published any articles, you know, in, in church, church leadership magazines or preaching magazines? I mean, you know, things that uh, church leaders could take and learn from what you learned from. I've done early on. I did some work uh, for Christian Standard, and but most of my publishing and presentation have been more in the academic realm. So, with my entrance into the academic world, that's that sort of uh, influence where I was disseminating that information, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So, you complete the PhD. It obviously has benefit and impact on the congregation you're reaching. And you did not go into this PhD looking to do anything other than keep doing what you were doing in ministry. So tell me how that journey happened that got you away from, you know, full-time ministry in uh, in Beaumont and then now director of the PhD program. Yeah, so the it really was a combination of, of tragedy and uh, passion. Um, mm -hmm. Passion in that whenever I graduated, and again, I mentioned it. Uh, before that, I, when I got, when I started the program, one of the goals I had, because this is the first PhD program in a Christian college 
institution, you know, independent Christian college affiliated institution. I wanted to be the first. I, I have a competitive streak in me <laughs> and I wanted to be the first. And so I just, I did whatever I could to do that. And so, as I mentioned, I, I defended my dissertation in November of 2015. My degree was conferred shortly thereafter. And Dr. Crumpton consulted with Dr. Smith, who was the uh, provost at the time and said, hey, I'd like to bring Chris Beard on as a in, in a minor role in this program to kind of serve as the the been there done that voice for some of the students. It's a brand new program. They want and and I spoke at the summit student faculty summit that we had and was that was very well received. So I, I jumped at the opportunity to do that part time to serve on a candidacy committee and and whatnot. And um, over time, um, Dr. Crumpton sort of took me under her wing, and I, I shared my interest in that. And I still still was committed to full-time ministry, but I like to dabble a little bit in that academic world. Well, in the meantime, I guess it was at the end of, of 2016, uh, my father was in a car accident and uh, rolled his, his vehicle and became paralyzed. And during that trial, basically, he and mom were here actually in Oklahoma where I moved to. And uh, I was in Texas and my church was just incredibly gracious basically saying, do whatever you have to do to take care of your family. And so through the uh, dad was in hospital and rehab for a couple of months. And then there was things to do uh, here on the goat farm to help get them prepared for the, the new life. And so I was back and forth between Texas and Oklahoma. At that point, I, I kind of thought, okay, how, how is this sustainable? As gracious as the church was, I didn't want to take advantage of that. And I knew they really needed somebody with the full attention at, uh, in Beaumont at the, you know, for the congregation, but I didn't want to leave the congregation either. And so at that point I started pursuing other opportunities and with the idea that I could do part-time academic, part-time ministry, and we could free up enough funds at the church to hire someone. Uh, so I, that's when I uh, became shortly thereafter, became the director of the master of arts and organizational leadership at Lincoln Christian university and uh, served in that role and at the same time was uh, teaching at the PhD program, uh, teaching in the MBA program at Johnson University. Then when Dr. Crumpton decided it was time for her to transition on, that's when I jumped at the opportunity to uh, apply for the, for the role of the director of the PhD. And so April 2020 is when I accepted that, that role and that position. I call it my dream job. But love what I do and I was uniquely equipped for it because I'm literally the only person in the world that has seen the program from a student perspective, from an affiliate faculty perspective, and now from a director perspective. So uh, God's hand in was, was in all of that. Uh, it certainly uh, was a, a strange journey to get there, but uh, I really look back and I'm very thankful of that. Something else that happened along your journey in Beaumont was that you all were the victims of a pretty severe hurricane. So when did that hit in your in your <laughs> life, and um, what'd you learn out of that? There, there are these scales, Tyson, that you can look at, and you can you can enter in life issue or life events, and and there's a certain amount that's normal. You know, everything causes stress, good, bad, and and everything else. And uh, I did that scale one time uh, a few years ago and like the normal was like 50 points for a year. And I was like at 350 uh, because I had my dad's accident. And then um, after that, the year after that, Hurricane Harvey delivered almost five feet of rain in our area and our congregation, about half of our congregation families lost uh, everything in the flood. Our, we had 20 inches of water in our congregation or in our church building rather. 
so yeah, that was a, a trial. And then during that, we also adopted our youngest child, which was a great thing. I was making this career tr transition. And, uh, and then my dad passed uh, in 2018 from complications from his accident. So all of that happened in, in that short period of time. But I always joked that for a year after Hurricane Harvey, my, my job title at the church was transitioned from lead minister to lead contractor because I was doing... Mm -hmm sheetrock and painting and uh, basically renovated the bathrooms. Uh, we did, my kids and I did all the tiling and the bathrooms and just uh, did all that work. So it was, we were fortunate to partner with IDES to, to help serve our community. And then they helped us rebuild as well. Uh, and that was a struggle, but it was a, a really beautiful time as well that we were able as a small congregation to not only rebuild our own building, but also to, to help many people in our community through that as well. Any lessons in particular that you learned from that experience that, that would benefit others? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was that you can't underestimate the amount of time it takes to heal from an event like that. We finished the building, hired a new minister, and what called what we called our, our relaunch. Uh, it was a celebration that we had completed, essentially completed the building process, rebuilding process. And we were like, okay, let's get back to ministry. And what happened, frankly, it, it kind of went off with the dud as a dud uh, for that relaunch because everybody in our congregation was just so exhausted in every way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually at a time when we thought, okay, we're done rebuilding. Let's get back into this ministry thing full force. It took us another period of time to really recover from that. And, and some, I think we still struggle with, with the, the trauma from that. So that, that, that was a lesson that we learned. You got to take your time and, and take care of one another and understand that priorities may shift for a while. Well, Chris, for those people who are listening to this podcast who know nothing about the PhD journey, never would have considered it themselves, never would consider it themselves, at least they don't think they would, give me your best, give me your best commercial for why somebody should consider the PhD program at Johnson. Absolutely. As I said, I, I entered the program because I wanted to be a better leader. I wanted to, to serve my congregation better. And I'm not the only one that, that has done that. Uh, most of our students, they, they don't enter necessarily to advance careers or anything like that, but they just want to be transformed. They want a Christian-based education, an opportunity to grow and to really dive in uh, to leadership studies. The beauty of our program is fr from the beginning, as I mentioned, every, every course has elements that are flexible that you can apply to your own context. Uh, that, that doesn't mean just if you're a minister, that's if you're a business person, if, if we have uh, students that are in law enforcement and education and uh, nonprofit, really across the board. And it's flexible, it's applicable, and it really just transforms uh, a student. We, we have what, our unofficial mantra in the program is the PhD program at Johnson University. You don't just earn a PhD, you become a PhD. And we, we want to see transformation both in the spiritual realm, that you're a better disciple of Jesus. We want to see you transform as a leader, and we want to see that transformation from student to scholar as you move into a research area that you really care about. And so one of the areas that I think is just really lacking in most professions is a focus on leadership. And, and in most professions, it's a necessary mastery. You really need to master leadership in almost every context that you serve, whether it be at ministry or, or, or anywhere else. And so with our program, you're able to focus on the leadership theory, the organizational uh, theory uh, and practice that will really equip a student to, to work in their context. 
But then when you get to the dissertation, that's really where you get to focus on something you're passionate about. I was able to focus on spiritual formation, adult learning theory. It just so happened that the intersection of that not only made me a better minister and help could help others perhaps in their spiritual formation effort development, but it also equipped me to lead an adult education program like the PhD program. And so I, I just think that I wish that ministers like me especially would think about a, a PhD. A lot, of, a lot of ministers have done a Master of Arts in New Testament or an MDiv. Uh, that leadership element for ministers and for, for really anyone that's out serving, it's so vital. And this is a, a program that will be, really help transform that. You mentioned two words there that I think are really appropriate is flexible and applicable. It's probably clear by now to those listening that I'm on the PhD journey myself, having just started. One of the big reasons why was because it was an online program that fits within my professional vocation. I mean, I can go on and do my full-time work as I have to do, and I can do the PhD work outside of office hours. It's tough. I will say it's tough oh, yeah. to balance all that, as you well know. But it's a program that was designed with an ethic of care at the core of who we are. And it's designed for working adults, 100% online. We're, it's a community of learning and a community of, of, of engagement that uh, supports one another and, and has each other's back through every step of the way. And so it's definitely unique in that way, uh, mm. I, I truly believe. And the other part of it is applicable in the sense that you know, whatever it is that I'm studying, I can apply to what I'm doing. So I'm in alumni relations at Johnson University, but like the first class in leadership is related to, uh, you know, cultural perspectives on leadership. And it just kind of opens up the eyes to, oh my goodness, we are all so different, drastically different and finding those points of connection and relation. Yeah. When I was a kid, we had these books. So we love to read called choose your own adventure books. Yes. I don't know if you're familiar with those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Basically you'd say, if you want to open the door, then turn to page 42. And if you want to go down the, the path, go, you know, whatever. And that's really what this program is. We have the, the, the standards of leadership theory and, and the, we have a, a leadership core an ethics core and a research core. And obviously that curriculum is, is set. But within that, you get to choose your own adventure and really pursue what you want to pursue and, and apply it how you want to apply it, which I think is just incredible. I, I was thinking as you were talking about your own dissertation, my wife, frequently people are asking her the question, so, so what is it that he wants to do? You know, what's he going to study? What's his, what's his dissertation? Like I know going into the first <laughs> class, but I, I said, from the beginning that my perspective was on the personal, social, and worldview implications on cooperative employee environments uh, and organizational effectiveness. In a nutshell, a fancy way of saying how do all of our differences work together to strengthen an organization and, and create a positive culture. There are organizations out there that despite drastic differences in political opinion or, uh, or religious opinion or social opinion, these organizations cooperate and they thrive. Why do they cooperate and thrive and others don't? And I'm curious about that. Sounds like a very restoration movement related topic, Tyson. I, yeah. I like that. And you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you're way ahead of where I was at, at this point, because I remember Dr. Crumpton asking me in the interview for admissions, she said, what, what is your research interest? What do you think you might want to do in your dissertation? I had to make something up on the spot because I had no clue. Mm. Uh, so there is definitely a time to adapt that, but, uh, but that's a good topic. Yeah. I like that. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized 
I guess I've become burdened by the fact that there's this lack of unity in Christ's church. You know, God's church is not divided, and it, it bothers me that it is. And, you know, we come out of the political season with, well, you know who, um, and, and the, the, the divisiveness of, of really both sides were just bickering, and, and it was, it, it hurt our country, and I hated it. What can, well, what, what I, can I do to help get us out of it? Sure. Yeah. And, I, and the thing I love about the program too is, is that it is so diverse. It, it, we have, oh, yeah. we have students of, from across the world. I think the last count was something like 38 states and 15 different countries and different backgrounds, different faith heritages. And that ro- robust diversity within our program really helps us to be unified and helps us to learn from one another as well. And so I think that's, you know, a picture of what the church should be. If I could be so bold as to say that, if you look at our program, man, that's that's what I hope uh, to see the church become. And I love that we're all working together uh, to accomplish a goal of, of advancing truth, advancing knowledge, and uh, growing as disciples of Jesus in the meantime. In the course that I just completed for Dr. Beard, and he's about to grade my one paper that I submitted, uh, <laughs> uh, in that course, let's see, we had somebody who lives and works in uh, inner city Chicago area. We have somebody who lives and works in a Hispanic community in central Florida who is himself Latin uh, in origin. We have somebody who who lived for years in China and is now reacclimating to state life. We have somebody from Africa. We have somebody who works in an organization that is a Japanese-owned and run organization, as I understand it. I mean, the diversity within this class and the opportunities that we have to learn from another, from one another and from one another's social and cultural perspectives, it's just a blessing beyond imagination. Yes. And I guess you see that through throughout the program. Absolutely. Yeah, and our faculty, you know, we're an affiliate faculty-based model by design which means that uh, we're able to put a, a number of faculty into the program. We have two, two full-time faculty currently, myself and, and Dr. Keith Crispin serves as full-time faculty, but we have several others that come from different backgrounds, different areas of the country, different, different uh, expertise and experience. And that all, again, just forms this robust community of learning that, that uh, I'm just very proud of and very passionate about. And, thankful for it could be because it's been something that uh, I've grown from not only as a student, but also as a affiliate faculty and as a director as well. Well, thank you so much for leading that program and for, you know, the encouragement and the patience with students like me who are <laughs> trying to figure back out this, uh, this educational journey uh, through the PhD program. Okay. So I have spent all kinds of your time and I really appreciate you giving me so much time, but I, I cannot let you go without asking you at least two more questions. Sure. So the first question is, throughout your journey, and you've obviously had a lot of experiences, diverse, broad, you know, tragedies and and great successes. Throughout your journey, what is one thing that you've learned that you would wish to pass on and impress on others? Probably the, the one thing I would say is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have it all figured out. It's okay to not be perfect because it's that one thing I said earlier that I think just continues to stick with me is that if we are faithful, God is faithful. If we stumble in that faith, God is faithful. 
And for those of us who, who claim to be Christ followers, who strive to be Christ followers, no matter what we do, I, I truly believe that God will work in us, that he will work through us, and that when he has to, he will work in spite of us. And that's okay. Well, that's a hard teaching to accept, though. Uh, <laughs> something that we did not really talk about, but I think has become clear, is that the more educated we get, you know, the the more we realize we don't know. Uh, we, we sort of touched on that, but uh, I'm wondering how much more uh, patience do you have now with people who are you know, who think they have all the answers when really they don't even realize how little they know. It's, uh, you know, you, you learn to, to, to have patience in ministry. You learn to have patience in the world of education, compassion and empathy that go along with that as well. I think the biggest struggle for me is when people are willful in, I guess, I don't want to say ignorance, but that's really the only word that comes to mind at this point is that, or, or willful in their arrogance, we all have various levels of ignorance, various levels of arrogance, and God works through that. That's okay. But I think uh, to, to live a life of curiosity and, and humility, uh, to understand that we are all inadequate in whatever way and at different levels, and we can learn and we can grow, we can overcome some of those inadequacies. But in the end, it, it's God that is doing the work. Um, I think if we focus on that, to, again, to say that, you know, he's going to work in me as I allow him, he's going to work through me as I allow him and as he he wills. And then there will be times when he will absolutely have to work in spite of me. If we could just live lives that acknowledge that, it takes a lot of pressure off of us. And it allows, I think, us to grow, to move more from that in spite of me to more of the in and through me, which is where I think we all want to be as we grow in Christ. Okay, Chris. Well, one more question I'm going to ask you. I'm going to give you just a moment to think about it while I do a commercial. Pretend, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, the entire world has tuned in. The entire world is listening to the podcast for 60 seconds. What is Chris Beard going to do with his 60 seconds to address the world? While you're thinking about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner Podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more about the Alumni Association at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Dr. Chris Beard, I should make that clear, Dr. Chris Beard, the director of the Ph.D. program in leadership studies here at Johnson University, a graduate of the Ph.D. program, also a graduate from the M.A. in New Testament with a preaching emphasis uh, here at Johnson University. It's been fun to talk to you uh, today, Chris. Thank you so much for giving me your time. I've enjoyed learning from you. Uh, but one last lesson I'd like you to teach us today. What one minute message would you give to the world? I, I think that, that what came to mind as you were doing the commercial and giving me a few moments to think about this is what would I tell my kids? What would I tell my kids? And I, I think I have done this to a certain extent, but I, I, I believe that what I want my kids to know and therefore what I would want the world to know is that Jesus came to this earth to accomplish a lot of things, obviously primarily to, to serve as the Savior and the Messiah, to, to die on the cross and to be resurrected, to defeat the powers of sin and death and to give us a way to be connected intimately with God forever. But he also 
came to this world to show us what it meant to be human as God intended. And the more that we can align ourselves with Christ, the more we can align and empty ourselves and allow Christ to become part of our lives and more influential in our lives, the more we're going to be become more that we're going to become the human that God designed us to be. I love my kids deeply, but I want to see them become who they are and who God designed them to be. To me, it's our mistakes, it's our sin, it's our failures, it's our own selfishness that gets in the way of letting the true us shine and the best version of ourselves shine. And so I suppose that if, if I was to sum it up, uh, the, the word that I would give to the world that's listening is the best way and the only way to become the best you is through Christ. And so let that happen and lean into that. Let God do what God does. I, I like that. That's well, that's deep. That's, that's thought provoking. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chris, for, for that answer, for all of the time that you've given us. Thanks for engaging me in this dialogue. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. I'm sure others who listen to this will get to, uh, will enjoy it as well. Thank you for being my guest today on the Sojournal Podcast. My pleasure, Tyson. Thank you so much. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Lena Gavorsky. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojourner Podcasts dropping normally weekly on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.